Hello everyone and welcome to Interlink, the podcast series under the Center of New Economic Studies, OP Jandal Global University. Interlink aims to hold nuanced conversations about the interdisciplinary nature of the problems that are intriguing the world today and hopes to break down intellectual barriers and look at topics in a way that will allow us to question it from several facets. I am Bilkis, a research analyst at the center and a second year student at Ashoka University. Today we are in conversation with the Makam team and our conversation will be about the study which talks about everyday violence against women in agriculture. Thank you all for joining us today. To begin with, um, I would like y'all to give a brief introduction to our viewers about Makam and the feminist policy collective that collaborated for the study. So hello and uh, thank you very much Bilkis for inviting uh, the Makam team here to uh, share the study findings. Uh, let me begin with a brief introduction of uh, Makam and the feminist policy collective. So Makam, uh, as you, as many of you probably know, is Mahila Kisan Adhikar Manch or the Forum for Women Farmers' Rights and uh, has been active in India in about more than 20 states uh, of the country since uh, 2014. Uh, it has very active chapters, state chapters in about uh, 10 to 12 uh, states. And Makam uh, has been established transformative financing for women uh, and uh, it has uh, it's, it's a nascent group in that sense, about three or four uh, years since Feminist Policy Collective has been working uh, at the national level. Uh, it is a group of, uh, it's a multidisciplinary group in a sense with feminist economists, activists, sociologists and a, a wide number of people from the academia and uh, practitioners as well. Uh, this study uh, actually was uh, conceptualized as a collaborative study because of the strengths uh, of both Makam and uh, the Feminist Policy Collective. Uh, as part of the Feminist Policy Collective, uh, the working group on violence against women, uh, there was uh, an emphasis to uh, not just uh, a look at uh, what are the existing studies and review, uh, you know, the various uh, both action programs as well as the studies around violence. And that's where the study, uh, the present study that we would be speaking about was really conceptualized. Uh, so been part of the Feminist Policy Collective, one of the issues that as members from Makam that uh, some of us uh, have been raising, have particularly tried to bring in the question of uh, violence and harassment in a in a broader sense, uh, so uh, looking at violence uh, as a continuum from the domestic to the public spaces, and more specifically looking at the rural uh, agrarian sector, which we believe uh, is understudied. So uh, whereas uh, feminist groups have very uh, rightly and deservedly so raised issues of domestic violence uh, uh, in you know the uh, different fora, there has been a lot of attention paid to domestic violence, but uh, for Makam, uh, this question of violence, uh, you know, uh, was in a way uh, an inquiry that was less studied, we would say, uh, particularly so uh, given that there is so much agrarian distress and the kind of issues that women have been facing from 
denial of wages, denial of land rights, uh, dignity at the workspace, uh, to the direct forms of harassment that we've been saying, seeing, whether it is uh, the Kathua uh, case or the Hathras case or Khairlanji in Maharashtra, a number of such cases that we've been witnessing. And that was primarily the reason why we thought uh, that a collaborative study would really uh, you know, help us bring in that uh, interdisciplinarity and a different lens to actually viewing uh, violence in the agrarian context. Thank you for that, uh, Seema. Uh, my next question uh, was, this study aims to answer some very specific questions like what is the nature and the form of everyday violence or harassment that is most commonly experienced at work sites and who are the likely perpetrators? Um, could one of you possibly elaborate on that? Uh, so, Bilkit, this is Sejal here and, uh, you know, one must acknowledge and realize that we have uh, the definition of a workplace. We In this country, we have a, now a law for the prevention of sexual harassment at workplace. And we have also the amendment of the Criminal Amendment Act uh, to bring justice to women uh, and to prevent further violence of women at workplace. But for the largest number of uh, women workers in this country who happen to be working in the agriculture sector. So we have over 70% of women workers in this country who are engaged in the agriculture sector. What is the workplace? What is the work site? So this is one of the questions that uh, we first explored in this uh, study. And uh, uh, the women farmers said, well, the workplace is actually for us. Uh, it can be the fields that we work in, it could be the migrant uh, sites that we go to do agriculture labor, sugar cake cutting, we lease lands or we are shareholders there. It could be our own farms, but it's also our forests, our commons, our own household where we do a lot of livestock, poultry. So this continuum of workplace for women um, in the agriculture sector are there many, many sites. There are also markets uh, where they go to sell. They're also uh, having to engage with a lot of government offices and the banks. So they also become extended work sites for them. And in all these forms, women spoke of many, many uh, forms of violence, ranging from, let's talk of what is everyday violence. That's the first thing uh, we define. So, the common, the most common experience of violence was being shamed of, of there being physical, uh, very sexually explicit sometimes, uh, verbal violence, and of course violence in the wages, the economic violence that was withheld uh, for many of these migrant workers. Uh, in Gujarat, we were exploring uh, this area with migrant uh, wage workers who migrate from the tribal areas into uh, Saurashtra, the western part of Gujarat, almost 500 kilometers away. And they uh, spoke of uh, living in these isolated farms where they lived in temporary shelters for six to eight months. And often only with 
their immediate family, extended relatives. And for them, this constant fear of the, uh, of the farm owners, the other agriculture workers uh, accosting them within the field, touching them inappropriately, making suggestive comments. Uh, we also realized there was a caste difference, right? These are tribal women and Dalit women for agriculture labor, while the farm owners are likely to be the higher caste. So there was also the explicit, you know, asking of sexual favors and a physical attack. There were two uh, women agriculture workers who spoke of um, how they would send the men to irrigate the farms in the night and the farm owner uh, would accost her. And uh, she ran away out of the fears. They left wages of six months and ran back home. And we were asking her, uh, did you speak to her? Did you confide in her husband? She said, oh, I did not because he would suspect me of having an affair with this man, of my own volition. So she was speaking out for the first time um, of what she had experienced. And one of the women was speaking of an incident that happened a year back. And another one was speaking of an incident that happened to her 22 years back. And reliving it as if it happened today. So, the forms of violence that women in at least migrant side experience are much larger. Uh, Asha can probably speak in Telangana and about the suicide affected women farmers. So, um, thank you so much for that, Sejal. Um, my next question was specifically about some of the uh, stats that were mentioned in the introductory paragraph, which particularly dealt with uh, women and asserting their land rights. And also, if you could delve a little deep into how this is different for women that are single. So, in the study, to quote, it was mentioned that in India, although 73% of female workers depend on agriculture, uh, we see that only 16% women own land and constitute only 14% of land owners. So, what according to you? Well, the main reason is the patriarchal setup which is there, which doesn't want to give land or ownership to resources to women farmers. And in this study, especially, we, we found out that single women and the women from farm suicide families, affected families, which is very common to like Telangana, Andhra Pradesh, Maharashtra, Punjab, Karnataka and such states, we saw that these women are facing a lot of resistance and harassment when they try to assert their share in the family land, especially in the uh, natal land, in-laws land. So, uh, and it is especially in the farm suicide affected families. Uh, and in our study, we found that the age of these women are between 25 to 45. And they are young and uh, they are contributing to the family and also the larger agriculture. Thing. But they are completely denied any land rights, uh, a share in the family land. And for this, when the women uh, try to uh, ask for even a share in the house or a thing also, and a land which they are working themselves, they are uh, harassed and uh, even the male members of their families are 
she should be also harassing them and they are driven out of their houses they are not in the land in the if they don't even get the support of the community also that's and that's a very uh, sad part where they are accused that the uh, husbands have committed suicide because uh, of the quarrels which happened before the suicides so uh, this is the the struggle for her land acquiring asset acquiring or accessing the land is huge for generally for women farmers but specifically it's more for uh, women from uh, this single women from farm suicide affected families and they also have to face as single women they also face a lot of uh, harassment in the government offices also where they go uh, in uh, this is again related to the land affair where they try to go and get the uh, already land existing in their husband's name into their name the revenue officers and all they also like do not uh, like heed to their request or they make them wait or they ask them to get uh, certificates or other uh, documents from the family members or so they are harassed in a multiple ways when they try to uh, get a share in the land and but they said that the contribution of these women to the family land is so high but when they don't ask as long as they don't ask for share in the land the inlaws look after very nice but the moment they ask they are like harassed in several ways which has come out very clearly in the almost in maharashtra and uh, in also in um, telangana but in other states also we got the same thing so yeah thanks for thank you for that asha um since you said that this was specifically uh, seen in maharashtra and telangana my next question was uh, the study was primarily conducted in uh, the districts of gujarat maharashtra and telangana but in your understanding if the impact do you think the impacts would have been similar had these geographical specifications have been more expansive in terms of covering other states states cities and districts in india ma would you like to go or should i continue yeah in fact uh, i just wanted to add a few more things yeah. to what yeah. asha said before we can move to the next question because uh, I, this is uh, also i mean you know expanding the uh, Uh, sort of scope of looking at harassment and uh, violence of course the you know very direct forms that asha explained in terms of harassment at home the family so uh, the husband is no longer there but the family violence uh, continues and actually extends to uh, their economic lives as well because the stigma in a way uh, also means that uh you know availability of work uh, becomes uh, extremely difficult for these women but also if they are cultivators and cultivating on their own lands what we saw in uh, you know both telangana and maharashtra particularly with the women farmers was how uh, even just trying to cultivate their lands itself uh, became a challenge because as single women uh, uh obviously uh, you know uh, they shared stories of how uh, their social capital had diminished uh, in a significant way for example if they were to hire labor uh, there would be a lot of resistance uh, you know from the villagers to even uh, go there as uh, labor so very often we we seen women saying that uh, you know they had to do the entire agricultural operations or for example 
the entire harvesting of the cotton uh, the cotton picking season is very very actually time sensitive and if you are able to pick your cotton in a short duration uh, there's more likelihood that the weight of the cotton would be uh, you know higher and therefore the produce would be uh, greater but very often because the women cannot engage labor uh the e there are economic losses because there is a direct impact on uh, productivity so this is also a form of harassment you know denial of rights but also denial of uh, you know uh, services and other uh, uh, very essential aspects of agricultural operations also make it difficult for women so while this is an impact of the harassment the actual harassment also is uh, you know a struggle that uh, women were sharing So I think uh, here we really sort of broadened the scope of trying to understand violence, harassment, as uh, um, stories from uh, different states. Uh, we believe that, of course, forms of harassment and violence uh, are going to be there, but there would be context specificities that you would see in every place. You know, for example, uh, what we saw in Maharashtra among sugarcane cutters uh, is a very unique experience to a certain. a uh, pattern of migrant workers uh, but you may find a very similar pattern in other states uh, as well among other kinds of migrant workers whether they are uh, working in brickins or or you know salt pan work uh, you know uh, context specific stories from different states i think uh, we all believe that you know this is going to be uh, very much uh, you know uh, prevalent across uh, different regions and different states of the country and that is something we are hearing even as part of makam's work where there have been violations of forest uh, dwellers their uh, rights have been taken away a uh, land that was given to them has been you know taken away and women are at the forefront of these struggles actually facing the direct uh, forms of violence so uh, yes there is more need to study to capture the nuances and the uh, context specificities but the prevalence is very much going to be there Yeah, I would like to add just a little bit to, to what Seema said about uh, what may come out in other states. Is like we have uh, in this study, it was a very uh, what say exploratory study and it is short study, and we haven't looked at certain um, sections of women farmers like maybe fisher folk or the northeast how it is, and also maybe the interior forest areas. Like we haven't looked at maybe there. Uh, the overall uh, violence patterns may be similar, but specific cases of violence may be uh, different. And also, violence here we don't at all. in the beginning itself we should told that the violence has a wider uh, wider uh, definition that maybe economic violence, uh, non uh, non availability of uh, physical violence, mental violence also. And many of the women who we covered in this study have suffered this mental trauma. Like it, it is persistent. So the violence also has to be like looked uh, in a wider uh, definition. In that sense, maybe we'll get uh, a, a deeper understanding of violence from other states and other uh, regions when we do the study, same study in other states. So um, we are we are unable to hear. Yeah, yeah. can you hear me now? Yeah. 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 So um we'll move on to our next question. So um in the report we see that um 
one of the women farmers in their interview said that there were no toilets at cane cutting sites and furthermore farm owners forbidden them from using their farms for defecation and these women had to often travel long distances outside their work sites so how much of an impact do you think that these hygiene and sanitation conditions had on women's role and them feeling a sense of safety and security at the workplace yeah seema should do that yeah uh, thanks for that question i think uh, uh, the study in maharashtra focused very much on the sugarcane cutters and uh, this is a long term engagement also that makam has with the sugarcane cutters in maharashtra and we are seen uh, i mean this specific uh, question that refers to the basic amenities that are uh, simply not available at the work sites has been uh, has been a major issue for the women uh, particularly because already they are uh, you know in a different area in a new location so there is uh, already in a way uh, a struggle of sort of navigating and negotiating with the new workplace uh, different people and uh, the constant gaze of uh, uh, you know the the people the local people who are looking at uh, women the migrant women in a very very uh, different way in this kind of a situation where they are already sort of overburdened with work both the cane cutting work itself which is uh, heavily uh, you know uh, a huge burden in a sense it's a uh arduous kind of work which uh, women already have a lot of health issues and uh, some of them have uh, significantly been reported but the fact that there is no water no sanitation basic hygiene uh, in the places that they live uh, has long term impacts they have immediate impacts of course because then women have to walk longer distances to uh fetch water they have to walk longer distances to find open defecation sites uh very often the farmers have been uh you know uh taunting and saying oh you can't use my farm uh, to defecate uh to the extent that we've heard stories where women have been asked to pick up their uh, shit literally uh if the farmer catches them uh, on his farm and this has been a lot of i mean this is uh, you know uh, there's no uh you know basic uh, sort of decency also in the way uh, you know uh, owners or people in those locations behave so these are some of the direct impacts but uh, the long term impacts of these are very much seen uh, both uh, on their mental health because you know this is a kind of preoccupation in a way that where am i going to find what Uh, where am i going to find the place to defecate now in the open it's a constant preoccupation in a sense which uh, affects mental health as we all know and uh, the other long term impact is the health morbidity because we've seen menstrual hygiene practices uh, obviously with uh, given these kind of amenities uh, you have no space to wash yourself you don't have any space to uh actually even hang the menstrual uh cloth uh, that they use or uh, even keep themselves clean during that period and this has had an impact on uh both their reproductive health in the long term so we've seen a lot of gynecological morbidity in that sense and uh, in some ways also gets connected with uh you know the hysterectomies that have been reported uh, among sugarcane cutters a very high percentage of hysterectomies and 
one of our earlier studies did show that uh, whereas for Maharashtra, the NFHS had recorded uh, 2 to 3% uh, hysterectomies in the reproductive age group. Uh, for just that one district, uh, which has high number of sugarcane cutters, our data showed 8% in that reproductive age. And that's where the sugarcane cutters uh, are the maximum. So it's, it's uh, you know, it's a nexus of uh, both profiteering, but also uh, a lack of these basic uh, hygiene-related uh, amenities, which are simply absent. And I think the toll is taken uh, by the women. It affects everyone, but women certainly bear the brunt uh, of this and we always call uh you know uh, the entire sugarcane uh, related work and the harassment and the exploitation as a question of the larger political economy because there's you know profit that the sugar factories and the owners see but uh, at the cost of uh, women's work and women's health so that really has uh, really really very long-term impacts on their lives Thank you so much for that, um, Seema. So my next question uh, is more specific to the pandemic, which all of us have had a very difficult time grappling with. And um, because of the subsequent lockdown, it has contributed to increased harassment and violence faced by women in general, because even the pandemic was often termed as the shadow pandemic for women. So I wanted to understand what sort of heightened impact that did this pandemic have on these women farmers who would have faced even more pressure of work at home and strict restrictions in movement. So in the study itself, which was done in the midst of the pandemic, uh, we uh, explored this question with women. There were two immediate impacts. One was just after the lockdown, uh, the large number of millions of women uh, farmer workers were stranded across rural areas. We saw urban to rural migration, but there was also rural to rural uh, large number of agriculture migrant workers who were stranded. Um, in, in the two cases, um, one woman specifically spoke of the kind of uh, violence that the farm owner uh, unleashed on them and forcing them to leave. And they walked 600 kilometers without wages to uh, back to their source area in the tribal region. Not completely, again, most vulnerable because the economic distress had led to the migration and they came back without wages and they were really just surviving. Uh, on whatever uh, help that the civil society was giving, basic food grains. That was one, of course, for the millions of people we saw working, we must also remember that many of these were also rural migrants in rural agriculture labor. The other impact of uh, uh, the continuing violence that women faced was, uh, and we still see remnants of that, uh, was the economic uh, distress in the families, uh, leading to an increased uh, experience of domestic violence by the women. And this is true even for uh, uh, 
farmers in the rural areas this uh, also has probably for me uh, apart from the covid impact also we also heard of many instances of children being at risk because migrant workers travel with their children and their children also left unattended normally a little older sibling will look after the younger siblings and we the doctor taken away um, 13 year old child was made into a sexual labor and a manual labor and uh, we were able to retrieve it the mother was not able to find anybody to help her not the farm owner nobody to complain in this distant site and only when she came back to her village two months back after losing all hope did she get in touch with the women's organization there and it took another four months to trace the child back with lucky case that the child came back i think the impact of covid on women's own economic um, and the economic distress uh, that the rural uh, population is currently facing has led to increased violence both domestic violence and much more vulnerability at work um we are recently seeing that uh, not only have agriculture wages dropped but even the lease and the share cropping has dropped to 1/5 from 1/4 so this has a long term consequence on, on the most vulnerable of the workers which are going to be the agriculture workers right um thank you so much for that virtual um my last question to you all would be both at the micro as well as the macro level what are certain policy adjustments or considerations that need to be made to mitigate a problem that is becoming increasingly worse to a certain extent and with the agriculture sector being one of the greatest contributors to our economy how do we deal with the problem the specific uh because before that can we just briefly deal with the redressal mechanisms which they are negotiating uh the women farmers maybe that can feed into the policy later on yes yes sure we to that sure yeah so uh, what we found from this study is that women negotiate or um, develop their own what do you say uh, methods of coping with this or preventing get uh, this uh, risks of harassment yeah. for example women uh, in telangana they said that they go in groups they don't they see uh, they make a point that they won't travel alone so that they are supporting each other and they're not alone and be prone to any violence even if they go to the fields in their own village or going to the outside uh, outside the village where they travel through auto rickshaws and the other thing we notice it women don't report at all because they are like they're they are scared because uh, they experience shame fear of not being believed and usually they themselves are blamed by the family and we also notice that when they experience violence or um, harassment outside at their work and it spreads the word spreads the domestic violence also increases so they usually do not report on that and we also found that mostly uh, if the cases are shared violence like a group of women are subjected to harassment by one or two persons then they approach because it's a the joint one but individual women they do not report and the the reason one more reason is also 
that uh, the nearest thing for them they think is a village panchayat or the next to is a nearest police station but the actual uh, formal redressal uh, mechanisms which are put into place by the women and child development they are not at all aware of it so they they just um, end up in a village panchayat which is always against them and also the police which are very unfriendly and very what do you say they don't even encourage them to put a case so i think this should lead us to the policy uh, recommendations as what should be the uh, what should what measure should be taken so that the what is the village level women can approach to for their redressal for their uh, harassment and violence they are taking yeah and for your next question maybe seema you will take the policy recommendation she is asking the key recommendations I'll just uh, yeah. say some things and then Sijal can yeah. speak. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. So, uh, so Bilkis, uh, I mean, there are. We look at the redressal uh, or let's say the broader policy recommendations at two levels. Uh, the first is, of course, because we have uh, defined violence in a broader frame, uh, which includes, you know, denial of basic services, entitlements, rights over resources. Uh, one set of our policy recommendations will definitely. Uh, speak about the larger agrarian reform, how it is completely gender blind and therefore needs to address some of these basic issues and you know those are very much there in the Makam Charter and Makam demands where you have completely invisibilized the woman as a worker and therefore uh, whether it is policies in agriculture, water, environment or related, uh, you will not see uh, uh, you know uh, women uh, in those policies. So that is definitely one of our, you know, at one level, uh, that's one of the recommendations that we strongly bring in. But as a direct uh, sort of uh, uh, findings uh, that have come out of this study and the redressal mechanisms that uh, Asha just mentioned, uh, we do think that, uh, uh, you know, supports are very much required and at the local level. Now, as you know, the there is a law, the sexual harassment at the workplace, prevention of sexual harassment at the workplace law of uh, 2013, uh, which uh, technically is also, uh, you know, um, something that the unorganized sector can avail of. Uh, but what we have seen in the unorganized sector itself, uh, there is very little, uh, uh, you know, purchase of that law, or rather uh, anything that uh, is worth, uh, you know, uh, taking away in terms of implementation for people who work in the unorganized sector and agriculture is uh, further, uh, you know, uh, I don't even know if it can really fall in the technical unorganized sector because there is very, very little, uh, uh, you know, any other forms of organizing also that we see there. Uh, so in that sense, uh, if Posh is not at all able to respond in the current situation, uh, one of the things is to revisit that in the context of uh, the agrarian space. But more uh, significantly, what we see is that uh, there, there have to be uh, decentralized community-based solutions and uh, at some level, Gram Sabhas or collectives, SHGs, are also spaces which can be used for women to uh, you know, to redress, to basically take their, uh, you know, 
the uh, cases or the harassment that they have faced. Uh, there are systems in place, but those systems are not responsible, responsive, obviously because of the larger uh, patriarchal and caste uh, context that we live in. But how how would it become? Uh, you know, how, how would these systems in a way facilitate the processes for even women to come out and speak? As Asha was saying, reporting itself. Every time we heard stories, it was, oh, this happens in other villages. Oh, this happens to migrant workers. It doesn't happen to us. You know, these are the kind of responses. So how do you create an environment where women are able to come out and speak? And firstly, to not normalize this issue, because you know, some of the forms of harassment are normalized by women that, oh, this happens. You're a single woman. This is bound to happen. But the fact that it is your go out and speak against that, uh, I think that environment, uh, creating that environment requires a lot of discussion, uh, which unfortunately is not happening at all. So, uh, you know, we have the posh law, we have a lot of uh, material awareness material, but that never really goes uh, down to the village level. It should be discussed in Mahila Gram Sabhas, in SHGs, in, in whatever systems are available uh, at the local level. So I think that's one strong recommendation that has uh, come up. Apart from, of course, gender sensitization of the police and all the local systems that are expect supposed to actually uh, deal with some of these issues. The local complaint committees that have been formed under the uh, POSH Act uh, really have been non-functional when it comes to agriculture. In fact, many of them that we spoke to during the study uh, thought that agriculture was outside their purview. They, they said, oh, agriculture is self-employment, so it can never... Uh, you know, cases can, uh, in fact, not be taken up by the LCC. So this kind of lack of awareness, even among those who are, you know, carriers of the law, uh, is really a very unfortunate thing. And I think a lot more work needs to be done, uh, both by society, but also by uh, the state, where uh, resources need to be pumped into uh, actually ensuring that decentralized spaces uh, become available for women. And Sejal, I'm sure, will be able to add uh, more to this. No, just on the end, I think we again kind of summarize. If we don't recognize the largest number of women workers in our country are in the agriculture sector, then according them, a worker status, recognition for their work becomes first. And then all the sites of where they are working require to be made safe. If they're made safe for women farmers or women in the agriculture sector, Almost all spaces, whether it be markets, it be fields, it be the household, it be the forest, where the women are seeking out uh, and working, become safe. We hear of all the cases um, of extreme sexual violence, uh, and that's what got us actually. That if we recognize that a large part of the vulnerability of women is coming because of the pervasive acceptance of violence of women and the multiple levels, layers of vulnerability that largely the Dalit, the tribal women, um, the OBC women who are dominant in this sector will face because of, uh, because of the pervasive natures of the caste violence in this country. Then addressing that centrally will also require that we put in much more stringent measures. We have the laws uh, in place, but we don't have the mechanisms to make these operational. 
and as Sima said, and the FPC constantly says that a law is in by itself is not adequate unless we actually invest in creating the mechanisms and the support structures to enable the law to be actually used by women. And lastly, in all our interviews, we found that largely women were not first going to the state. They were looking for the community solidarity structures within their own groups uh, and therefore much more investing in uh, feminist organizing of the agriculture women uh, workers and farmers uh, should actually make them be able to speak up against violence and respond to it uh, also locally. Thank you for that. That's it. Yeah. Um, and with that, we come to the end of our podcast conversation. I would like to thank all of you, Asha, Seema and Sejal for taking out the time to do this. And I'm sure our listeners will take away a lot from our discussion on the Makam report. Thank you once again. Thank you. Bye. Bye.